And then COVID happened very shortly after we launched our first virtual reality product. I'm so glad that we had spent that time building what we did in virtual reality. Otherwise, we'd 100% be out of business. It's just one of those things we have to be ready to jump on the opportunity at the right place at the right time. All right, everybody, welcome back to Founder Vision with Clearview. I am Brett Kistler, your host, and I am here with Marshall Mosher. He is the CEO and founder of Vestigo. How are you doing today, Marshall? Doing good. How about you? Doing very well. Yeah, I see that you are you are currently in your van right now. We just talked a little bit about prior to this, uh, prior to starting recording about how um, you have been doing van life in the past, not right now at the moment. You're just kind of in the van because you've got something going on in the house. Um, <laughs> but we know right. some of the same people, actually. Uh, Melissa from from Clearview had introduced you to us, and you guys are into paragliding and like whitewater rafting and kayaking together, um, which is pretty cool. That's I, I love. We have a lot of adventure athletes in Clearview, so I love like talking with people who have a similar alignment around that too yeah yeah it's it really is kind of at the forefront of everything that i love doing both personally and professionally which i'm excited to get into but um yeah melissa i've never met someone who is as uh enthusiastically learning new adventure sports as um as i like to be as well and uh She's she's incredible. Whether it's whitewater kayaking, some of the most intense rapids I've ever seen, or paragliding, uh, which I actually met her when she was learning how to paraglide, and now she's a way better pilot than me. Nice. So, yeah, she's <laughs> she's awesome. Glad that uh, glad you guys got her on the team. Yeah, great. Well, tell us a little bit about Vestigo. What are you guys doing? Yeah, so on that theme of of adventure sports, um, you're no stranger to the power of adventure sports to bring us together as. Um, you know, as as humans, as a team, connect us on a deeper level when we go through shared challenge-based experiences. There's actually a lot of psychology that supports that and explains that. Um, the the military and you know action sport athletes they know this really well when you go through a shared challenge together you really bond as a team going through that but in business a lot of times team building is unfortunately uh, quite the opposite it's going to a happy hour or a baseball game which is not a shared challenge and does not build teams as much as some companies would like to think that it does so at Vestigo we use adventure sports as a catalyst to give teams the opportunity to go through that shared challenge together, build stronger relationships, deeper levels of trust, practice communicating in a pressure-filled environment, and teach a lot of the themes in leadership development that are way more effective when we put them into practice experientially than when taught in a conference room or a speaking engagement type setting. And we actually do that in virtual reality for remote teams or for any team that um, uh, has people in different countries or different offices or different parts of the same city so that we can all come together in the same virtual environment in a way that feels real um, but uh, is purely mental obviously the stakes aren't real in virtual reality but it really does trick our brain into thinking that um, that we're there and the same emotional response you'd have if you were actually rappelling off a cliff or kayaking down a rapid wow that's fascinating so so to kind of piece together what you said you've made it so that people can join each other as teams in virtual reality. And I have a whole lot of questions now that come up. Like one, how do they feel, 
How do they feel that they're actually with each other in the process? Two, how do you trick the brain to feel like the challenge is real or that the stakes are high? Like how does, and, and I guess a third question is how, how do you get everybody um, technically set up to do this if they're all in different countries and they might not have access to a VR? Yeah. So have you tried um, some of the latest VR headsets, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a really amazing space um, that has come a long way in the past couple of years. So for anyone listening who hasn't had a chance to try some of the latest headsets, um, it's not what some people think is virtual reality, a 360 video viewer, the things you put your phone in that you can look around and kind of see a video from all angles. That's not what we're doing. We're using real virtual reality where you can actually move around, interact with virtual people, pick up virtual objects. And that's really the key factor in making it feel real. Mm-hmm. When you put on a headset that has what's called six degrees of freedom where like i said you can move around interact with virtual people it for sure looks fake it looks like a video game but because it simulates real life in terms of when you take a step forward in the real world you're taking a step forward in virtual world um it your brain forgets that it's in this cartoon fake video game environment after about you know five ten minutes and it really does assume that that is your new reality. So the same emotions you would feel if you were, let's say, at the edge of a cliff, you feel in virtual reality when you're at the edge of a virtual cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people that are way smarter than me from a neuroscience standpoint that can probably explain why that is. I don't know. Uh, it just works. And the latest headsets are some of the first ones that actually create that feeling without the need for an external gaming computer to process the power in that headset. It's all done on the headsets standalone device and you don't need it to be hooked into a computer like some of the older ones uh, in order to create that virtual environment and that's really a game changer for us and for the virtual reality space as a whole because your other question was how do we set up that environment well before these standalone headsets came out we would have to have people come to a you know a location that we have set up with you know a gaming computer that powers a headset and these little virtual reality bays or people would have to have their own big desktop computer and virtual reality set up and it'd be pretty complicated to teach them how to do that mm-hmm. well now with with just standalone headsets we use the oculus quest and the oculus quest 2 we can just ship them the headset if they don't have it and we have a you know a branded box with a qr code that they scan and it teaches them exactly how to put on the headset how to go through the tutorial experience and how to use it if they've never done it before and all they need is an open space in their house and it's pretty user-friendly on how to get started and then the team actually meets up in virtual reality for the experience regardless of wherever you are in the world it feels like you're together in virtual reality talking interacting with the virtual version of your teammates Um, even for people who've never used virtual reality before it's super simple but we are hoping that as more and more people start to buy virtual reality headsets and use them both for fun and for remote work that eventually everyone will have a vr headset just like everyone has a smartphone Mm -hmm. and it will be way easier for people to tap into these virtual experiences whether it's just with friends or with their team yeah it's fascinating so i mean the as to the first point, I remember the first time I tried out an HTC Vive and I went through, it was like, you know, the Google Earth demo. And one of the places it took me to was the top of Half Dome in Yosemite. And my body had the same reaction to when I was standing on it to base jump off of it. And I was like, okay, I'm sold on this. <laughs> I just had to get yeah. one. 
Yeah, it's nuts. And and the Google Earth, uh, that app is is really awesome. But um, uh, even Google Earth isn't as immersive as as some of the digitally recreated environments. Yeah. So Google Earth actually uses real life, you know, imagery. Uh, but what we've been doing is actually digitally recreating environments, just like you would in a video game, but based on uh, LIDAR scans of that environment so that it's dimensionally accurate. Mm. And you have a combination of it being dimensionally accurate and, you know, to scale real, but also um, it almost looks like a video game Pixar animated version of that place, which for whatever reason, and and I still don't know why, it, that actually feels more realistic than a filmed version of the same place. I think it's a limitation of the the 360 cameras and satellite, the depth, all that kind of stuff. But when you digitally recreate the environment, even though it's not real, it feels way more real. So Yeah, there's some uncanny valley thing that I think 360 video lands in. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it definitely does that. So describe to me an example scenario that you might bring a team through. How would you set that up? We're always trying to create new environments. And one that we just finished that we're really excited about is an Everest crevasse crossing. Hmm. So... As you mentioned, base jumping and, you know, we were talking about whitewater kayaking and paragliding with what me and Melissa do. There's a million different types of adventure sports in the world of action adventure sports. And and there are all these really amazing people who are setting world records, pushing the limits and speaking about their journey uh, along the way. So what we're doing is we're partnering with some of those world's top athletes, a lot of the Red Bull athletes who are public speakers, and we're recreating environments that are part of their journey so that they can actually be in the environment as an option with the team, give their keynote instead of from a stage from the side of Mount Everest and then guide the audience through a part of their journey experientially. So with this Everest crevasse crossing experience, uh, we start in base camp. We've got a digitally recreated version of base camp with, we added a big projector screen because there's not one in base camp, but we want the speaker to have something to be able to put their slides on, of course. So they can actually give their speech from base camp with all of the attendees, um, you know, hanging out at base camp listening to the speaker and feeling like they're actually there at base camp, but also there with their team. And then as soon as the speech ends, instead of you know, walking off stage and leaving you with, you know, the theme of the speech, you actually get to put into practice what the speaker was just talking about, which in this case is the power of mindset and our ability to push through perceived barriers and perceived limits and the fact that we have a lot more power inside ourselves than we think to do the impossible. So at the end of the speech, there's a little portal that appears on the other side of base camp and you walk to that portal, you go in it, and all of a sudden you are at the first Uh, beginning stages of the Kumbu Icefall, which is the first step in climbing Everest from base camp to summit. It's also one of the most dangerous parts of Everest because it's one of the most unpredictable. It's a glacier that's always moving Mm -hmm. and big boulders of ice can fall and crack and um, you don't want to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, 400 foot crevasses. It's the don't want to fall in that. Yeah. Yeah. If, if anyone's ever seen anyone listening has ever seen any like Everest documentaries, this is the part where they're like putting down a ladder across this like big ice gap and then like taking slow steps across the ladder and hoping the whole thing doesn't collapse exactly exactly and for anyone who's seen the movie everest they've got a really good scene in that one um but uh what we did was we recreated one of the crosses along that journey there's multiple when you're actually climbing everest we took one of them and you're just walking in a straight line in your living room floor, but it feels like you are actually walking across that ladder that you were just describing. Um, 
to get to the other side. And it recreates that feeling of heights just like you would feel if you were actually crossing that crevasse with the sound of the snow and the wind in your ear. Um, and uh, we tell people to turn their AC on a little bit lower so they get a little cold. Mm-hmm. Simulates Mount Everest. Yep. Um, but uh, when you get to the other side, there is a portal that you go back in, you go back to base camp, and we actually have a team of facilitators that gather up different groups and, and actually lead a group discussion on how that felt, how the, the individual team members pushed through that challenge, and how it relates to the theme of the speech. So it kind of brings it full circle with what they were hearing about and inspired by um, before the experience and makes it that much more memorable because they didn't just listen to it, but they actually implemented it and put it into practice. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, this, this gives me some ideas of uh, um, some scenes that would be interesting to put together. We could talk about those after this. Um, but so, sure. so let's get into a little bit about your journey. I, I can imagine that you you had had the idea to to do this coming from your experience in in adventure sports and bringing people into it and just being like, hey, how could we get more people access to this kind of experience and this kind of team building without everybody having to come out and do something dangerous or even just be f- actually physically adventurous all on the same page? Because like you might have a team where there's like two out of ten people that are interested in going water rafting or going to you know, whatever location and the others are just actually not interested in really leaving the office, but you've, you've kind of created this idea that allows people to stay where they are and not have to physically risk themselves in any way, but then still get to have this experience. And I'm curious now, how, how did you go from the concept to actually building this and implementing it and bringing teams through? And what were some of your challenges along the way? It's definitely been an interesting journey, and um, uh, you're right. It's it's definitely challenging to get teams to uh, uh, to willingly get outside of their comfort zone. Um, the best part about virtual reality is that everyone underestimates it. So if we were saying we're taking our whole team rappelling in real life, a lot of we've actually had this happen. People would would call in sick, you know, the morning of, and they just yeah you know, wanted to do whatever possible to not come. Um, but in virtual reality, no one's going to be scared of the idea of virtually, you know, repelling. Um, and then they get in the experience, and it's actually terrifying. So I think people's expectations are a little bit less than what the technology can actually deliver. But in terms of the journey, we actually did start with leading in-person adventure experiences. So we started back in 2015. We went through a program called Singularity University um, out in mm-hmm. the Bay Area in California. It's uh, housed at the NASA Ames Center. It's right next to the Google headquarters, uh, which was a sponsor at the time. Uh, one of the really incredible Silicon Valley tech accelerators where we learned all about the future of technology, not just what we have now, but what we can expect to have from a technological advancement standpoint in the next you know, 5, 10, 20, 50 years. And what problems we'll probably face um, in society and how we use that future technology to actually help create a company that contributes to solving some of those challenges. So that's where I learned about virtual reality. And my personal passions uh, at the time were kind of at the intersection of technology and adventure. And I really loved the, the you know, mindset building, relationship building element of adventure, of helping people to get outside of their comfort zone and, and help to serve as a physical experience that helps give people the tools they need to push through a challenge in a fun and active and healthy way. 
Um, but there's never been a way to scale that feeling from a technology standpoint. Sure, you can watch a video of you know Melissa doing some crazy acro paragliding mm-hmm. um, stunts uh, or someone whitewater kayaking down a hundred foot waterfall, but it doesn't make you feel the way that person felt when they were actually doing it until virtual reality came along. So in this program at Singularity University, I got a chance to work and visit the Stanford Virtual Reality Lab, got a first exposure to virtual reality, build a virtual reality application with some teammates through the Singularity program, and really fell in love with this idea that it was the first form of technology that could actually scale the feeling and the impact of these experiences in a way that I would hope encourage people to actually take the first step in real life because nothing's better than actually doing it for real. But there's that big barrier of entry in action sports to just taking the first step. It's oftentimes the hardest part. Mm-hmm. So at the end of this program, I was really excited by this idea to use virtual reality to build this future of digital adventure, but also really disappointed in the state of where the hardware actually was at the time. Um, Back in 2015, a lot of companies raised a lot of money for a lot of big promises in virtual reality that ultimately weren't possible to deliver on because no one had really cracked the technology problem, the hardware problem, in the sense that the headsets were just too expensive and not good enough for your average consumer to buy. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to just wait around for the technology to get there. And I also didn't want to try and raise a bunch of money from a VC to you know, deliver on this promise of virtual reality when I really didn't think the market was there yet. And there are plenty of companies that did that and went out of business because two years later they ran out of money and they just couldn't you know, get the traction that they wanted. So I'm really glad we didn't go that route too. So what we did was we did the very non-tech, non-scalable approach of just creating a real life, you know, adventure company where we would take teams, this exact same target ideal customer profile of a team that is innovative, that's trying to build their people and trying to help them to be more you know, creative and innovative and get outside of the comfort zone, but do it through real life in-person adventures here in Atlanta, Georgia, where we're based. And we actually built up a really great list of clients. Some of our early clients were CNN, Home Depot, Chick-fil-A, EY based here in Atlanta. And we learned a lot along the way. Of course, as we were doing that, we were able to start generating revenue and be profitable as a company instead of having to fundraise. Mm -hmm. And we put that revenue into starting to develop the early versions of what we were building from a virtual reality standpoint so that we could be ready when the hardware finally gets there. And timing is the big question that no startup really has the answer to of when the market's going to be ready. We didn't know, but we knew it'd be eventually. And this in-person adventure experience business was a pretty good way to grow our client list test the the content, the facilitation of how we were taking the experience and relating it back to themes in business leadership development um, while waiting for that tech to get there. And then in about, I think it was 2018 when the Oculus Quest came out, that was the first real game changer in the virtual reality mm-hmm. hardware space. Oculus, owned by Facebook, um, created a headset that was the first real virtual reality headset, like I mentioned before, the one that has six degrees of freedom. So you can actually move around, interact with objects and people, but it didn't need a gaming computer, an external computer to process. It was all done on the headset standalone device. And that was the game changing moment in the world of virtual reality that finally started to let the industry take off because your average everyday person who's not a gamer could buy this headset and have an incredible experience without needing to understand how to hook it up to a computer and have the technical knowledge um, to 
to do all of that, which is what people were doing before. And that's really when we started shifting into the virtual reality experiences um, for remote teams. And then COVID happened very shortly after we launched our first virtual reality product. And mm-hmm. it was, I'm so glad that we had spent that time building what we did in virtual reality. Otherwise, we'd 100% be out of business. Right. So when that happened, we just ran full force with virtual reality. We couldn't do anything in person, of course. So our bread and butter business was really kind of shut down overnight. And all of a sudden, every company and every team is remote in a large way, if not completely, and needed a way to engage and build their team in a remote setting. And we were like the only real option out there other than a Zoom call um, to, to do that. So it was actually a really helpful um, uh, kind of launching point for that virtual reality focus that we had been waiting for since 2015. Yeah, wow, that's, that's, that's really, really good timing. I mean, timing from the from the sense of the technology finally landing, timing from the perspective of having been ready with the concept and being like building building the experience part uh, of this of this offering in person, so you are ready to just shift when COVID hit and had this other forcing function. Everything just seemed to have lined really, really well, and you put yourself in just the right place. That's really cool. It definitely did. Yeah, there is there is this really great TED Talk that I like called The Power of Timing by Bill Gross. Um, and it's all about how the most important factor for predicting the success or failure of a new company actually has to do with timing, not necessarily, you know, funding or team or anything else. And timing is also the hardest to predict because um, no mm-hmm. one no one knows when, right. and, you know, uh, when the market's going to be ready. So we, it, it's one of those things where we, we just had to kind of wait it out and um, we didn't know the answer to when it would take off. And virtual reality is still in a large sense hasn't really hit its strides yet so we're, we're still a little bit too early from a timing standpoint mm-hmm. but it's just one of those things we have to be ready to jump on the opportunity at the right place at the right time right um so i'm i'm curious now how what you apply to other companies through these experiences how have you been applying that into your own team do you guys bother to run through these experiences yourselves or does it seem to have any impact on you or does it seem like since you were building the experience it's not quite the same as being surprised by running through <laughs> it the first time like what do you do to build to build your team yeah we um we're a virtual reality company that will always admit that there's nothing better than being together in person uh so we we still do a lot of our uh your kind of team building and team uh development work through actually getting together in person a lot of us are big adventure athletes uh, just personally so we'll get together and you know, paraglide or climb or we've got a couple whitewater kayakers and um, get everyone together for kind of a, a fun time out of uh, kind of out of work mode and and out in the wild but um, but we also do test out our new experiences that we develop uh, as a team as well so mm-hmm. we use it as a bit of a testing opportunity but also as a chance to get some of our team members who are uh, not here in Atlanta um, together with us. Yeah. Well, Marshall, this has been fascinating. I've, I, I really love this concept and I, 
I feel like a little bit of almost jealous of like, oh, this is this sounds like something I want to be doing. And there's like I'm, I'm like looking back to like these 360 videos that I took of wingsuit base jumping in the Arctic, and then I never actually did anything with them. I'm like, wonder if wonder if I could make some kind of experience for people with that. So you've you've really got me thinking, and um, it's really been great to talk to another another adventure athlete and uh, to see to see the way that you're kind of merging this you know, this, these outdoor experiences that people like you and I have really gained so much from in our lives. And then through tech, bringing it to people and doing so in a remote context that the world is moving into. It's really interesting intersection. I'm really fascinated to have chatted with you about this. Thanks. Same. I, I love the work that you do as well. And it's, um, we'll, we'll have to uh, meet up for both some virtual and some in-person adventures uh, at some point soon, for sure. All right. Thanks, Marshall.